Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Welcome back to our next podcast of the Feathered Desert. This is called Made to Run, and we're going to talk about roadrunners and quail. And we have both of those in our Southwest area, but we're going to look at just a few specific ones that are found in our Sonoran Desert area. And to start us off, we're going to talk with Cheryl about the Greater Roadrunner. Yes, the Greater Roadrunner. First, I'm going to just, although it's iconic as as a representative of the Southwest, it's it's not purple. No, like the coyote and the roadrunner. Wiley it doesn't make beep, beep noises. No, it doesn't make beep beep noises. Instead, it does a clapping noise, and it has a beautiful song. But the so I'm going to describe it to you. So the greater roadrunner is a large bird. It's 20 to 24 inches long, mostly brown with white streaking, white underbelly, dark crest on the head that it moves up and down. Um, when it when it sees something of interest, it'll put its crest up, and when it's more relaxed, it'll lay its crest back down. Um, it's orange and blue coloration on exposed skin behind the eye. Gray beak, long legs. Uh, males and females are very similar, except the males, I believe, are the ones that have the coloration on the eyes. Yeah, I think that it eyes. can be brighter. Um, I think in the more recent standout-ish. Yes, I think in recent years they have found females when they've caught them in the hand that do have that coloration. So the males tend to be brighter, but uh, as as scientific study goes on, it's seeming more and more like it's not. It doesn't make a difference. Doesn't make a difference. So they are capable of flight, but they prefer to run, and they can run. They can run up to fifteen miles per hour. Um, it's faster than me. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's faster than a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> Region. Okay. They're found in most uh, southwest desert areas of the U.S. as well as west and south Texas in open and arid habitats with shrubs. Again, those bushy um, arid brushlands such as chaparral areas. Again, open bushy lands and woodlands and some suburban areas mm, yes. their diet is meat they are carnivores um, when they become adults insects lizards small birds small mammals they catch prey with their beak and they whack it on the ground to <laughs> kill it or on a rock or some a hard surface and then they swallow it whole it's famous for eating rattlesnakes by grabbing the tail and slamming um, the head into the ground and hopefully the animal dies instantly. Otherwise, that's a very painful death. But, you know, hey, they need all that. What they get from um, uh, whacking it, their prey on the ground is they're breaking up the bones mm -hmm. and everything and making it palatable for them to swallow because they need the minerals that are in the, the bones and the whole animal. Um, both adults help raise the young, and they may mate for life. Well, as long as they're successful, that's what I found out with mon monogamous um, bird pairs, is that as long as they are successfully raising young, they will continue to stay together. If they, for whatever reason, have a bad season, um, they look at each other and say, okay, we're going to try a new partner, and they might even try a new area. But uh, generally speaking, they mate for life. And there's a, here's a fun fact. 
fact, they have sunbathing behavior. That is really cool. And I got to watch this um, firsthand. They have um, on their back um, a black uh, skin patch. It's almost like solar panels that assist the roadrunner in keeping warm. And they actually, their, their feathers like lift up and away and they expose this area on their back. And um, they will sit in with the sun directly on that and um, it holds the heat so it keeps them warm. And they'll do this in the morning and sometimes they'll do it late in the evening it, because it gets cooler at night mm. to help keep their, um, their temperature regular. Their track marks appear as if they are traveling in both directions because yeah. it's an X. And I thought that was another cool thing. It's a very cool. I love their feet, little roadrunner feet. Yes. And I never even really thought about it, that it could be a way to throw predators off of their track because they don't really know which direction they're going. Yeah, and you wouldn't think that uh, roadrunners have predators, but they do. Um, the coyotes. Mm. And here's something else I thought about, too, was hawks. Yeah. So um, they are vulnerable. So, And then we're going to go ahead. Kirsten's going to go ahead and talk to us about quail, which is just they're just adorable and we get a lot of people coming in talking about quail yes everybody the moment you see your first quail regardless of what type it is you have fallen in love with them because you just can't help it so the ones that we have here that are the most common in our area are the gambles quail and that is a name gambles g-a-m-b-e-l apostrophe s a gambles quail and they're a medium-sized quail uh, so that makes them, in songbird terms, a fairly large bird for our songbirds. Uh, they're uh, mostly, the gambles quail will be gray body feathers. They'll have a chestnut brown feather on their flanks. And then they have that well-known dark plume on their head that makes them border on cartoonish. But it's what makes you love them so much. <laughs> and um, the way it arches is it falls over towards the face. So it kind of looks like an exaggerated um, Elvis Presley quaff. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is really what endears uh, them to people. So for the Gamble's Quail males, they will have a black belly uh, patch right on the bottom. They'll also have a white outlined black face so uh stands out very well and that's how you can tell the males from the females is the black face and the black belly the females will look very very similar but uh and they will still have that plume on their head uh, but their colors are a little bit more understated so these guys are found in the sonoran desert of arizona and in mexico they prefer areas with brushy thorny vegetation just like all of the most most of our birds out here in the desert so it helps keep them protected and that vegetation helps them to hide among the lower branches and then roost high at night which is what they prefer uh, they like to eat seeds of several different types of plants and they will also eat some insects spiders and even some small reptiles if it comes to that uh, but they're really high on the seeds that seems to be what they really like these guys are generally ground foragers so you'll see them if you have them, you're lucky enough to have them come into your yard, they'll be on the ground underneath your feeders. Um, I threw this in about nesting. I don't do this about all the birds, but this is very interesting for these guys. They can have anywhere between nine to 14 eggs in one clutch. That's a lot of eggs. That is. It's a lot of babies to take care yeah. of. It's a lot of babies to keep control of. And generally what happens is they will lay them under uh, a bush or under a brushy, scrubby area, and that is selected by the female. 
So she picks where she likes it and then the male will hop out and he will go up high either in that bush or on a fence if it's nearby and he'll be the lookout. So the female will actually incubate the eggs for 21 to 23 days. That's a long time to sit on an egg, I think, to sit in one place. And the male will stand guard that uh, during that time as well. Um, in human areas, you will see them in your potted plants quite a lot. So if you ever see this dark gray bird with a little uh, plume on its head jumping in and out of your uh, potted plant, you probably have a quail who has decided that that is where she's going to lay her eggs. So you know you have 21 to 23 days to wait for <laughs> disturbing that uh, plant and hopefully it'll make it through the summer or through the springtime without any water um, before you know that the chicks will come out. And when the chicks are um, ready to come out, they hatch out and they're precocial. And precocial means that they are ready to go. When they come out of that egg, their eyes are open, their legs are working, and they're ready to run. So in a couple of hours, they're actually ready to follow their parents right out into the desert. And so you don't have to worry about that. Once you see one little chick out, you know, within a couple hours, everybody's going to be out of those eggs. Um, when it comes to parenting, some of them are great. And these guys will stay together, um, just like the Roadrunners. If they are successfully uh, raising young, they'll stay together for a very long time. And some of them are great parents and you can count them out. Oh my gosh, they just hatched out. They have nine chicks. And then a week later they come back and they still have nine chicks. And then some of them are not so great, <laughs> but that's all right. That's, that's okay. That's across that's, the board. Right? That is okay. But don't fear for the abandoned chicks of the uh, Gandalf's quail, because if another covey of quail come by them and the little chicks see them, they're like, oh, and they just start following the new moms and dads and the new moms and dads don't care. They don't kick them out. They just say, come on, come with us. And then they end up raising 20 chicks instead of nine. And it all works out for them. Uh, which is great. Uh, also, if one parent is killed off during the season when they have the chicks, the other parent will stay with them and then will raise them until they are ready to go off on their own. And uh, the next season, they'll probably find another mate. But uh, quail chicks are really well taken care of, whether it's by their own parents or by the neighborhood. <laughs> and that's what they say. It takes a village to raise a, <laughs> children. And that's what the quail bank on. And this was a fun fact that I found out. Uh, I didn't know this, but the plume on the head is not one single feather. It grows out several feathers together and it makes that curved shape. That is cool. Yeah, I always thought it was just one. Yeah. And I, when I started doing research this podcast, yeah, it's several different feathers that grow out into this curve. But I looked and looked and looked and I don't think anybody really knows why they have this this feather on their head because it's not just for the males because the males and the females both have it we i don't i don't think scientists have quite figured out what that plume is for <laughs> except for to endear them to us only the quail know only the quail know <laughs> and maybe someday someday we'll know um all right so that's our gambles quail and i'm just going to briefly mention two other quail that can be found here in arizona but right down by the mexican border there's the scaled quail and the montezuma quail but both of those are found way down uh, on the Mexican border um, in the southeast area of Arizona, but right down close there. The scaled is actually very pretty kind of gold color with a black scalloped design across the entire body. And it has a fluffy top knot of feathers instead of a plume. So they're often called cotton tops because it looks, just looks like a little spit. The Montezuma quail, the male is very easy to identify. 
They have a very graphic black and white painted face with a blue beak and the females are cinnamon colored. And this is one of the quails that does not have a top knot or a plume on its head. But those guys are way down southeast from us. But if you guys are birders and you ever happen to be down there or you're taking a trip down uh, close to the Mexican border, then keep your eyes peeled for the scaled and Montezuma quail. All right, so the next question is, how do I attract these birds to my yard? Yes, well, <clears throat> in attracting roadrunners, I'm not sure if we want to attract roadrunners to our yard <clears throat> just because um, they eat birds. So, <laughs> so it's kind of like uh, counterproductive um, in bird feeding. <clears throat> but um, the surrounding environment dictates um, really if you can attract them to your yard, or at least I thought so until this fall. Um, this fall, I went on vacation in October and I came back and I had a roadrunner. And this roadrunner st stayed basically um, in my neighborhood, directly in my neighborhood, and spent a lot of time in my yard from October to mid-February. So I really got, um, had a personal experience with this young male roadrunner. Um, I did watch him take a bath. So, and he did drink water, <laughs> although they're not known to need it um, because they live in areas where there's little water. And again, when they're eating their um, prey, they're getting their liquid from, from that. Um, mealworms, so Kirsten did mention what you could offer them mealworms, so I did. And he, he would eat a whole dish. <laughs> and he <laughs> even liked the dry berries in the combination um, so Why not? It's I, something a little sweet. Yeah, I thought that was cool. And he ate a lot of my, um, my in insects because he was coming um, in the early morning. So he ate the crickets and the roaches and things that he found. Um, I did not, we have heard of some people um, feeding them hamburger yeah. or stewed meat. It's not recommended. I mean, we, would rec we wouldn't recommend it and we would actually tell you not to because it's harmful for the roadrunner to eat people food. Yeah. Um, it's too fatty, it can harm their kidney function, and it makes them dependent on people. And it's never good for a wild animal, um, or especially a wild bird, to be dependent on us. And again, like I mentioned before, they need those additives that of the whole animal. I don't know why I had this roadrunner in my yard, and. Um, I live in I live in the middle of Gilbert actually very suburban block walls, and the roadrunner would get run the block wall. Um, he would sun himself. We watched him do it on the um, block wall as well as on our neighbors' roofs. I would he would roost in the trees, the smaller trees, not high trees, but like desert um, willows and other smaller shrubby uh, trees. He would roost in those, and we would see him. Um, come out of the tree in the, the morning and then he had a routine. <laughs> he actually had a route and we could set our clock by him visiting um, every about 7.30 every morning. And um, he got very comfortable um, with us. We have a dog, didn't seem, neighbors have dogs, didn't seem to be too concerned about um, dogs. Um, my dog didn't bother him. As a matter of fact, they could be out in the front yard at the same time and my dog would just like open one eye as it's, he's laying in the driveway. <laughs> the roadrunner would look at him and my dog would look at the roadrunner and that, that would be um, the end of it. He helped my husband uh, hang up Christmas lights. 
I don't know if helping would be the word I'd use for <laughs> well, that, but it was just really cute because he was he was pulling the lights, the small little lights across the the lawn, and the roadrunner what would catch I guess the glint of the light from the sun, and he would chase the the lights, and he would kind of um, bite at them, but not actually bite at them to right. break them. But he yeah, so um, my husband even would relay them out so he could drag them across the lawn again and the roadrunner would chase him. Um, I think a couple of times he might have raided a couple of doves' nests because well. they do eat eggs, but um, I'm not sure if he, there were any babies on the roof, but um, I do know that I found egg debris and that was probably my roadrunner. But um, other than that, he was quite pleasant and I think he just spent his um, teenage yes. time in our neighborhood and then sometime between February I think the last time I saw him was actually the beginning of March and I haven't seen him since so he's probably moved on and is raising babies this year and um, somewhere out, out in the desert somewhere. out in the desert somewhere <laughs> but who knows you don't know and I think just having the right environment just being having I live do live near open area hmm. and um, we have a at least in my yard that but in a lot of the neighbors yards there's a lot of native vegetation and um, bird life so I think that just attracted him and he well, I wasn't even home so I have no idea to put out mealworms or anything so I don't even know why he chose my yard but I'm very glad he did because I have notes on roadrunner behavior that I wouldn't yeah. have um, otherwise. Wonderful. And Kirsten is going to tell us about quail. All right, so the quail, uh, very similar to the roadrunner, you have to have the area that they frequent around your house before you can really attract them into your yard. And uh, this is one of the best things actually is to put out water. Now the quail also, this is for Gamble's quail specifically, they don't have to have a lot of water. They're a desert bird and they are designed to eat a lot of seeds. They get most of their water from the insects that they catch. But if there is water out there, they will drink it. Because when you live in the desert, you know, you take your water when you can get it. And it's the same thing with the Roadrunner. Like Cheryl said, they mainly get most of their water from their food that they eat. But if there is water available for them to drink, they will drink it. So that's the first thing that I noticed when I started putting my water out is that the gambles quail that I could hear in my scrubby bushes that are along a wash right behind our house, uh, I could hear them. They started coming out and uh, to the tree where I have my water set out. And that was the first thing that started attracting them. And boy, I fell in love with them. Just like everybody else, as soon as you see that quail, you're like, oh, it's the cutest thing I've ever seen. And so you want more and more of them to come. Then my first breeding season where they showed up with their babies. Ooh, I lost my mind. <laughs> they got my, you now. <laughs> that was it. I was fought, head over heels in love with the gambles quail. Whatever I could do to get to my yard, I was going to do. Uh, so after that, um, other things. So water is great if you already have it out there. I do keep mine lower to the ground, and I have mine right on the ground. And then here at Wild Birds Unlimited Mesa, we do sell a bird bath about 14 inches across and about five or six inches tall and that's a really great one if you want to attract your ground birds and so a lot of people will do that and get that from us uh, the other thing you want to think about is what kind of seeds are they attracted to and they uh, are attracted to most mostly grass type seeds so millet is actually a really good one 
Of course, here in the valley, you have to be careful with that. You put out too much millet and you're gonna end up getting a lot of doves or a lot of rock pigeons, but that's completely up to you. A lot of people don't mind having a lot of doves. And uh, sometimes it's that I really want the quail and I'll take the doves. Uh, so that's something to think about. Um, but you can use that, you can use it on the ground. Um, also, if you just have uh, fallen seed coming out of your seed feeder. So if you have a tube feeder, you can get a mix with a little bit of millet in it. And mostly that millet will fall on the ground and your ground feeders will get it. So your sparrows and your quail and uh, your doves will come and get that. Um, you can also do a quail block, which is specifically made for quail. And it's a literally a block of food. Oh, I think the one we sell here at the Mesa store is like oh gosh 13 pounds or something i don't know i could be exaggerating that but it's heavy yeah. when we pick it up it's heavy and so it's quite a bit and it'll, it'll take them a while to get through that and you can put it right on the ground or you can get a very low feeder uh, to put it on and um, they'll come for that um, also i have a cylinder that i feed out during the fall and the winter i put out cylinders and i don't have mine in those little cylinder cages i have mine in an open um, feeder that i just hang out there and I saw one of my male quail jump right on top of that cylinder. <laughs> and this cylinder is hanging probably about six feet up because it's above my head and I have to reach up real high to, to hang it. And yeah, he's just sitting right up on top of that um, the cylinder. And I was actually thinking, well, the quail are coming, or not the quail, I'm sorry, the, the white-winged doves are coming back in the season. I'm going to get a little cage cylinder. And then when I saw that quail sitting on that cylinder, I was like, no, I can't do that to my quail because it was so <laughs> funny. It was just, it's not what I expected to see. And it's only been one male that's tried it, but you never know. It might happen in your backyard if you leave an, an open feeder for your um, cylinders. But they'll come from millet, they'll come for different types of seed. Um, I have ones eat my thistle underneath my tube feeder. So they'll pretty much, anything that's on the ground, they'll come and uh, scratch it up. And then once again, consider your environment. You've got to have the right type of shrubbery around your area or an open area where they're coming from uh, to come in. So if you don't have quail currently in your yard and you're living right in the middle of a suburban area and there's houses all around you, there's no guarantee that you'll end up getting them. Uh, but if you're living kind of on the outskirts or maybe you're the last house on the end of your row and there's an open area around you that has the things that they're looking for, which is those scrubby bushes, more of the desert type stuff like the creosote or hackberry or jojoba, something like that, then you might be able to attract some quail. Yeah. Well, everybody wants to eat the quail. Yes. Everyone so, wants to uh, eat the quail here. Their predators eat. are everything. Yeah. So they <laughs> need that cover. They depend on it. That's yes, they do. And especially when they have young, they are very attentive to their young. Um, they make sure um, we actually have currently two different uh, coveys of quail and one has teenage quail and one has fresh out of the egg quail. And they came to the tree together the other day and the father of the just out of the egg babies were chasing after the teenage quail from the <laughs> other covey because they were getting too close to his babies. And he's like, get away, get away. And so that was quite enjoyable. Once again, I was yelling at my husband, come to the window, hurry! <laughs> and we're both standing there at the window and we're watching them have their little um, soap opera moment. And it was quite a lot of fun. So those are the things for your quail, your water, your seed, and your environment. And speaking of environment, Cheryl is here with our plant spotlight. I do. And I picked this uh, plant specifically for um, Roadrunner. 
it's a desert willow and I just planted one in my yard this year because we lost uh, a tree so I went with a native tree and um, it's, a, it's from the southwestern United States to Mexico so it's very native here it generally you'd see it in washes um, the wettest areas in the desert environment so I do have a lawn and so the water from the the sprinklers seem to be enough for it it can be a shrub or a tree um, the more you prune it the prettier it uh, looks so you can uh, prune the tree it's quite hardy it needs very little water and it blooms in the spring and again in the fall it has pink white rose or lavender with purple markings as far as its flowers go um, and it, the flowers attract butterflies a wide variety of butterflies including swallowtails and bees um, it can grow to be about 20 feet high and I'll tell you that I bought mine in February and it was probably a little short from of 24 inches it's now a good um, maybe 18 inches taller mm, that's so fast. yes and it has it only had two branches now it has three nice. and it has bloomed twice already Ooh. So it has adapted to its space and it is going to be, I'm just very excited to have it block my view of the corner traffic. Nice. <laughs> I'm just very excited about that. Um, it prefers full sun and it's sitting on a corner with full sun, which what killed my other tree because it was not native mm. and it didn't make it through the summer. Um, it well-drained uh, limestone soil uh, it prefers, but um, it's adaptable. And we asked our nursery if we needed to um, add anything to our soil, and they said no. I said again, it needs very little water, and I did mention already that it can be uh, trained as as a tree or a shrub. Um, and if you, the more you prune it, the more flowers you get. Hmm. So it's really a nice thing to consider. And when I was was weighing what I wanted I was going with well Kirsten you remember you were with me I didn't know whether I wanted an ironwood tree or desert willow tree and the master gardener suggested the desert willow tree because it had more curbside appeal so um, I went with that and um, I'm very excited to see how that corner is going to look and I'm already um, researching flowers that I can plant underneath this tree nice yeah so that's wonderful. We actually have a desert willow at our place too, and we live much more in a desert area than you do. We don't even have grass. There's no grass at our place. It's pretty much ocotillos and cactus out there. So we do have a desert willow as well, which also shows you that it can live in both different types of areas, a nice suburban area and a nice desert area. And we don't trim ours at all. We just let it do its thing. And it's probably about four feet rounded and we just let it do its thing. So it's ours is spindly. It's definitely more shrubby than tree. <laughs> And uh, that's what I like because I'm a very lazy gardener. So I'm like, plant it, do your thing. I'll water you when I need to. But ours gets very, very little water. And it's really, it's surviving. It's very nice. So very versatile plant out here in the desert. Yeah, it's a good choice. Yes, it is. All right. Well, that's all we've got for you today for our made to run, our roadrunners and our quail. So hopefully you guys will see a few out there, even if you're just hiking around in the areas that we talked about, or maybe you'll be lucky enough to get them in your yard. So thanks. And we'll talk to you guys later.